Charles McWhorter, you just broke my watch. He was so excited to give me a handshake, and I was trying to get off my hand, and I see silver pieces on the carpet, so I appreciate the high five, but uh, now my watch is broken, but that's all good. It's just a temporary thing anyway. Well, I was sharing with the uh, first service this morning that if you know me very well, you'll know that technology and Calvin Caulfield don't really uh, go in the same sentence, and all you have to do is ask Pastor Duane or Rebecca in the office, and they'll explain that very, very quickly to you. But I've been fascinated to watch how the world around me embraces and absolutely is attracted to technology. And uh, I'm slowly learning, though. And uh, a friend of mine is here this morning, and, and she was amazed last week after 300 texts that I finally responded to one. And uh, last night I was traveling with a friend of mine. We were, no surprise to you, going to a wild game dinner up in Lindsay. And uh, I was texting, and he turned around, and he almost started laughing. He says, I can't believe you're texting. And I said, yeah, but I still don't have the thumbs going. I just got this one finger, and usually it's going hitting the arrow back because all the letters are the ones I didn't want. But, uh, but you know what amazes me is I watch people... People are so anticipating to hear from someone. Isn't it true? They're waiting. They can't wait for that phone to either buzz in their pocket or make some funny chime. I I shared this morning, I only realized what the noise was when I received a text. I just presumed it was I had a low battery and I kept plugging it in. But no, it was people were texting me. And, uh, but it's amazing how much we anticipate hearing from someone and how much we long to hear from someone. And you know what, even more, how much we will stop doing what we're doing in the middle of our conversation to receive a message. And as I thought about this morning, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if we came before the Lord with that same enthusiasm, that same anticipation of going, Lord, through your spirit, cause the vibration in my heart to hear your message. I want to hear from you. I'm not going to interrupt any other conversations or things I got going on because I want to and I anticipate and I can't wait to hear from you. And so I pray this morning as we start that that will happen in our lives, that we will give God and the message that he has for us today the same respect and time and focus and anticipation that we give our friends when we're waiting for a text from them. So let's pray to that. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for giving us the health and strength to be in your house this morning. And Lord, I do pray that, that God, we would come not only to worship and to hear your word, but come with the right attitude, the right heart, anticipating, excited to hear from you. So as you give us your message this morning, I pray, Lord, that it will be well received. And I pray that we will put into practice what you teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure all of us, if we are honest, at some time in our life have asked the question, so what now? So what now? And often in most cases, it's very common to ask that question after some difficult or trial experience that we've come through. But this week, as I've been thinking about this morning, I realize that there are also times in our life where it is very appropriate to ask that question, so what now, after a very positive experience. There are those unique moments in our journey as followers of Jesus Christ, rich, uplifting experiences that we come through feeling built up in our faith and energized in our spirit by God through worship and through his word to live with a new resolve 
understanding that we are ambassadors of a king and a kingdom. Times like the ones I've just described cause us to reorientate our attention and our focus, our heart, soul, mind, and strength on loving the Lord our God. Well, we've just come through one of those last weekend. Rich weekend together as we remembered and celebrated God's amazing love for us, demonstrated through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we set time aside, even the culture around us. Friday is off, and some of us even had Monday off. A chance to set time aside and reorientate ourselves to the amazing love of God. But when we come through those rich experiences, there's something that follows the next week. Monday comes, we wake up, we get into our regular routine of getting ourselves prepared to go and do what we have been called to do and handle our daily responsibilities. And we leave the house and it's like we're thrust into this vortex of the hustle and bustle of our lives where we're trying to balance the pressures inside the home along with the pressures outside of the home. And these pressures just hit us like waves continually rolling up on a shore. And if we're not careful, what eventually happens is they wear us down. And before you know it, they overshadow and they steal the joy and the enthusiasm that we recently gained from being with God and his people only a week earlier, like we did last weekend at Easter. We allow ourselves to get so spiritually disorientated so quickly. And the truths that were so fresh in our mind and fresh in our hearts only a week ago seemed to fade. And the impact they had on our spirits seems to diminish. I don't know about you, but I, I am wired and I do a much better job of celebrating than remembering. I don't know. Maybe you're different and maybe you're good at remembering and you don't celebrate much. So... You know, we both need to find a balance. But this last month, I had the privilege of doing a lot of celebrating with family and friends because I turned 40 last month. Now, for some of you, I know you're either thinking, wow, I thought he was much older than that. (laughs) Or, I can't believe he's that old. And I would have to question you if you believe that. So we, we had a lot of time celebrating last month turning 40. Now, one of the things the ladies in the office told me about turning 40 is that sometimes your memory goes. And you know what? It's true. Because only two days after I turned 40, you won't believe what happened. I was great at celebrating, came to work, and my wife had sent some of her low-calorie, low-fat, petite cheesecakes into the office for us to enjoy. And uh, later that day, I knew I had to get our van into the mechanic because we were heading up north to help my dad finish off the maple syrup season, and I needed to get the oil changed. And uh, so I left the office, and I went out to Roslyn, went west on Roslyn, and then south on Ritson. And it was one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever experienced where you know something just happened, but you don't have a clue what just happened. But there's signs that something's happened all around you. Well, that was one of those moments. And I heard this noise, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and the first thought that went through my head is, our rear window just blew out because all I saw was glass flying everywhere, the car behind me swerving like this. And I was like, but wait a minute, I still see the wipers so the back window didn't fly out. You know what I had forgotten? That lovely tray with the cheesecakes was still on top of the van when I went to the mechanic. (laughs) 
But that's not the end of the story. Because uh, this is the confessions of a pastor, because of my pride, the first thing that went in my mind is, well, there's no way I'm turning into my mechanics if this guy's still behind me because he's going to think, hey, buddy, do you know something flew off the back of your van? So you won't believe it. I drove right past my mechanic. (laughs) I went to the first street on the right. I watched if he went by. He went by. I did a U-turn, and I went back to my mechanic. (laughs) We forget. We so are good at celebrating, and then we can quickly so forget. But some of the advancements in technology that I have been amazed with, especially, is digital photography. We're able to capture a moment as it happens and then reflect on it immediately. The days of having to wait for film to be developed, waiting to have a good time sitting around remembering what has happened, those days are gone. Images help us to remember. That is why Jesus, when he taught, and he was speaking truths that he wanted his listeners to really grasp, he would speak to them using parables. Word pictures so that they would grab the truth behind what he was trying to create in their minds. Another tool that helps us to remember, especially in relating to family, is family trees. Family trees help us remember who we belong to and where our family originated from. My father-in-law, who is here today to witness his grandson be baptized, him and his mom and his brother... They, their family history is that they fled from Estonia via Sweden and ended up immigrating to Canada. And over the last few years, my father-in-law has had a real interest and a passion to research about his family. And he actually has taken trips back to Estonia to try and put together the history of the Creek family. While on the Kofelt side, the family tree on our side looks a lot like an acacia tree. Very wide. Now, when I was studying yesterday and I realized that that image had already been inputted into the system and I had no clue how to turn on the system, the thought came to me, have you ever seen those jokes in those calendars where you have a dog owner and the dog and how similar sometimes a dog and a dog owner looks? So when I put this up yesterday as I was preparing, I thought, great, so the Kofop family tree looks very wide. And I thought, the tree might just look like the descendants. But what I mean is, my great-grandfather, August Kaufeld, immigrated from Germany to Canada in 1873. And he was presented with a certificate from the province of Ontario with the official seal, the official stamp of Queen Victoria. And this certificate was given to my great-grandfather under the Free Grants Homestead Act. And because the Queen's seal was on my great-grandfather's certificate, it entitled him and it guaranteed that he would receive, and his wife would receive 200 acres of land if they were willing to establish a homestead. Well, they sure did that and more. They had 21 kids. In a home that's 21 by 21. So wives, and it still is there, and you're free to come visit it. So wives, don't ever complain that you don't have space. Okay? They made it. But what's neat is we not only received an amazing godly heritage. My great-grandfather was a deacon at Lindock Baptist Church, still there today, a little church for 28 years, just outside of where he set up his homestead. So we received a great godly heritage from my grandfather. But one of the benefits of also being in his family is we inherited the 200 acres. And as a kid, I've had many great memories there when we'd come home from Canada. And now I'm creating memories with my own kids on that 200 acres. So today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I trust will help create an image in your mind about yours and my spiritual family tree. And in so doing, help us answer the question, 
So what now? Turn with me, would you, in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul." If you study the books of Psalm, you will see that most Psalms either speak to God or about God. They tell us about his character. And there are three main categories of Psalms that you will find. The first one is called Psalms of Disorientation or Lament Psalms. And these Psalms express the heartfelt emotions and the honest feelings of someone who is in distress, who is in a trial period of their lives. Life has thrown them a curveball. And you read that Psalm and it's a Psalm of Disorientation. Then there are psalms of reorientation, thanksgiving psalms. These psalms reflect the emotions and the feelings of that individual who was once in distress and has now received help and is back on track. They're being reorientated back towards who God is. And then there are psalms like Psalms 103 that are psalms of orientation, praise psalms, psalms which express the thoughts of an individual who is in good space with God. At times we all get disorientated and thank the Lord through his word and through others and through coming to church, he helps to reorientate us back to who he is. And the neat thing is usually whenever we get back on track and we're in a good space with God, we don't always land back at the same spot. Most times if you read the Psalms, they land back with a better understanding, more appreciative of who God is. So this is a psalm of orientation. It declares who God is, that all is well. He sits on his throne. And there are three common structural elements to a praise psalm. There's a call to praise, which we see in verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And it's a personal, if you notice, it's a personal call to praise. I cannot praise on your behalf. You cannot praise on my behalf. 
We have to choose as individuals to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, verse 2, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's a call to praise. Then there's a section in the middle that is the reasons or the causes for that call. So why should we praise? And we'll look at those a little closer later on, verses 3 through 19. So you have a call to praise. You have the reasons and the causes of why we should praise. And then in verse 20 to 22, you have a conclusion to actually praise, to put it into practice. Call to praise, reasons why we should praise, and then a conclusion to praise. Let's examine these a little bit more closely and see as we look through the psalm, figure out, so what now? How then should we live? Verse 1 and 2, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's two major things that you can't miss. Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Let's look at the praise aspect of that. David exhorts himself twice in those verses to personally praise, to worship, to give honor to the Lord. And what type of praise did he offer? Wholehearted praise. He said, with all my inmost being. We are to bring our whole life into interface with who the Lord is and what he does for us. But the first instigator and the first spark that should cause us to praise is simply because of who he is. He deserves our praise simply because of who he is before he has even done anything for us. Because he is holy. He reigns. He is sovereign. He is above all things. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 99, just a page over. Verses 1 through 3 says, The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Go with me to Psalm 145. Psalms 145 and verse 3. Again, recognizing the praise he's due simply because of who he is. 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And then if you think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, honored is your name. There's been great hymns written about this aspect of God, of why we should praise Him. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. It is fitting to praise the Lord. It makes total sense for a believer to praise the Lord. Psalms 33, 1 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting. It makes total sense for the upright to praise him. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises, as we've done this morning, to our God. How pleasant and fitting. Total sense. It makes total sense to praise him. Because of who he is, before he's even done anything for us, he is over all things. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is creator. Psalms 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained 
You have made it a holy decree. You have ordered praise. And how should we do that? And for how long should we do that? Psalms 145 verse 21 says, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Psalm 146, 1 and 2 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Again, it's a personal decision that we have to commit ourselves to. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're still breathing, you should praise the Lord. Right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In the conclusion of our psalm, 20 to 23, the conclusion to praise the Lord, we can see that everything everywhere, including angels, mighty ones, heavenly hosts, the list goes on, you can read it, all his works have been decreed to praise the Lord. Now, I acknowledge that this is often not the reality, and it's not easy to just say, yeah, okay, so we just, we're just going to like walk around and praise the Lord? No, I think God understands that. So that's why in the book of Psalms, he shows us there's psalms of lament, there's psalms of thanksgiving, there's songs of praise. But I think understanding who he is can help us in those moments when we feel disorientated to still offer praise. I think this week of losing one of our faithful, faithful Sunday school teachers, Gussie Hadawanski. Faithful, faithful in the grade three class with her husband, Cornell. The Lord, in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, and because he reigns over all, chose in his wisdom to take his daughter home to be with him this week. And I'm sure for Cornell, even having talked to him, I know that there's a sense of being disorientated. Why? 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 But I know Cornell well enough. And I know that he will be orientated back to a right understanding of who his Savior is and who it is that Gussie loved so much. And that will help him to, even in death, be able to offer praise because you have an understanding of who he is. That's why we do not mourn with, as those who have no hope. Because we can offer praise simply because of who he is and see the results of what he's done knowing that his wife is with him in heaven. So let's look at that second part. Praise, forgetting not all his benefits. Verse 2. In verse 13, in verse 3, sorry, to 19, the specific aspects of God's holy character are revealed through the good things that he does. Benefits. Available to who? To anyone who has called on the name of the Lord, asked for mercy, and is saved. As Pastor Rick preached last week, to any of us today who are here, alive in Christ, because of what he has done for us. There are benefits that are available to those who are alive in Christ. And that alive in Christ is described in Psalms as people who fear him. In Psalm 103, as we've read, verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. 
We should be identified as children of God, as people who have a reverential awe and respect of who he is. Now, it wasn't only those who fear him, but if you read on in verse 18, it says, with those who keep his covenant. Now, we know that when Psalms was written, when David wrote this psalm, the people of God were relating to Yahweh under the conditions set up by God based out of his love for his people of how they were to live under the old covenant. And they were communicated by God to Moses for the people. We read that in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The old covenant, the laws of the Old Testament, were given as a presentation of the character of God and his will for his people. They were like God's training manual to help his people know how to serve him and how to follow his ways and ultimately enjoy his blessings that he so longs to lavish on his children. Today we are still in a covenant relationship with God. It's still rooted and maintained in the love God has for us, but it is now established through what we celebrated last weekend. It is established through his son, Jesus Christ. We are in good standing today before God if we are alive in Christ, not by maintaining the laws of the Old Testament, but by receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He has established the new covenant, the new way of relating to God through himself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. If you turn over to Luke chapter 22 and verse 19 and 20, you'll see Luke's recording of that same event. And he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus established that new covenant that we have with God. So does that mean that we just don't care about obeying and following his ways? Well, no, because we know that in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. He did not say, go and present what I command for their consideration. No. He said, go and obey. So in this new covenant relationship we have with God, there's still an expectation that we will worship him by obeying and following his precepts. Let's not be sloppy or get lazy in obeying all that he has commanded us, but realizing that we can only do that in the strength of his Holy Spirit that now lives in us. It's one of the essential DNA, one of the things that identifies us, that we pray will identify us here as a family at Calvary Baptist Church, that we take God's word seriously. Not just the reading of it, not just the observing of it, but the application of God's word. People who fear him, people who keep his covenant and follow his ways. 
The old covenant was a foreshadowing of what was to come, what we celebrated last weekend at Easter. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it on my behalf and on your behalf. The point is, God is love. He is the one who establishes relationship with us because of his love. And he calls us to obey and follow him faithfully. Now, he understands we will fail in our desire to obey him faithfully. This is made very clear, if you turn back to Psalm 103, our text, made very clear in verse 3. His first and greatest benefit of being in his family is that our sins are forgiven. He forgives our sin. And why, is that, why do I say that's the greatest? Because it's our sin that separates us from God. And his forgiveness removes that alienation we have with him and he allows us to belong. Interesting as you read on in verse 12 what he did with our sin. He not only forgives it, but look at in verse 12. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amazing. And I was sharing with the folk this morning as I was sharing this idea of the cross came into my head and you think about it. He says he takes our transgressions, our sin, he forgives us, and then what he does is he separates it from us as far as the east is from the west. The two will never meet. It is a symbolic, beautiful portrait of God's forgiveness. And what's amazing is in the middle is our lives in Christ. He removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. But he goes one step further. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. What a beautiful picture. He takes us. He forgives us. He separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then he says, and I remember your sins no more. He offers us his grace. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I was listening recently on a radio, and I like the one definition this author gave of grace. It's giving us what we don't deserve. The unmerited, undeserving favor of God is what he gives us. But not only that, he extends to us his mercy. Look in verse 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. What an incredible truth. Incredible. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for our transgressions, but instead we celebrated last weekend. He came in our place to do that for us. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Incredible Father. We can experience his forgiveness, his redemption, his grace, his mercy, and his love. And that's why I believe Cornell will be okay this week as he remembers the life of his wife because he remembers how much her heavenly Father loves him, loves her. 1 John four eighteen says, God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Easter reminded us that we will not face God's wrath if we are in Christ. Instead, we will receive forgiveness, redemption, grace, mercy, and his love, which the psalmist here tells us his love is abounding and so great. Finally, we see that he is a compassionate father. 
In verse 13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Four times in this psalm, you will find that compassion and being compassionate is used to reflect the character of our Holy Father. Now, I I understand in a crowd like today that not every child has necessarily had a tender and compassionate earthly father. Too often, sadly, the cycles of abuse and dysfunction rob children of a loving father. I met this week with the director of harm reduction for street workers in Oshawa. And it was interesting in talking to her that that kept coming out. It's just this vicious cycle of people who did not have a good earthly father or good earthly parents. And the fruit of that is just brought in the next generation and it just continues. So I understand that you may be here this morning. It's hard for you to imagine. What is a tender and compassionate father like? That wasn't my family tree. That wasn't my family story. Well, I'm here to tell you that God offers himself to you to be a father you never had or felt you never needed. You may not be able to go fishing with him on a canoe trip, but you can receive and experience his love and his care in your life through his Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. The Bible says under the category of peace and joy, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this, by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. You may have had an earthly father who disappointed you. God is letting you know today that you can experience hope. And the hope that he offers will not disappoint you. Why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God can give you hope and heal your deep hurts through his spirit. Just like I mentioned at the beginning, the Queen's seal on my great-grandfather's certificate issued by the government of Ontario guaranteed him the privileges and the benefits of what that certificate said on it. And just like that, the Holy Spirit, also referred to as the Comforter, also known as the Counselor, has been given by God as a seal And allows anyone who accepts Jesus and his gift of forgiveness to become a candidate for all the benefits and the privileges that he has for his children. Besides just forgiveness, redemption, grace, mercy, which should be enough, and his love. That seal of the Spirit guarantees us the privileges and the benefits of being in his family. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. And verse 14, the Bible says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, listen, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He is a compassionate father. 
And why? Because of all people, he knows us best. He created us. He understands that we're fragile. Verse 14 in Psalms 103 talks about that. He says he understands that we are formed, that we are simply dust, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Often in the Bible, you will see a picture painted of our relationship with God like a potter working with clay. And I had the privilege, the very first time I saw the whole art of pottery and how it starts and the whole process through was when I was at Rift Valley Academy in Kenya. And a good friend of mine, art teacher, Jack Wilson, he would often work on his pottery while we would do our art in his class. God knows how fragile we are. And I'd watch Mr. Wilson take some dust and then he would take some water and he would begin to mix it and he would form clay. And then he would put that lump of clay on the potter's wheel and he would start to spin it. And one thing I always notice as this picture on the screen depicts is that the hands of the potter were always in contact with the clay. And whatever was needed at the specific required time, it wasn't both hands off, keep the wheel spinning, get some water and some more dust. No. It was keep the wheel spinning but one hand on. And the potter knows just what is required at the right time. Our Father is compassionate with us. He knows exactly what we need at the right time. He is precise in his care for his children. And verse 17 says that his care is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. So, another Easter has come. Another Easter is gone. So what now? This message was inspired in my heart a couple of weeks ago when I was traveling with my family. And we were in a bookstore and I saw this poster that totally caught my attention and spoke to me. It was a poster about who I am in Christ. I want to share with you, in closing, the message that this poster, and combined with what we've heard from God's Word today through Psalms 103, I pray that this will solidify in your heart and in your mind as it did mine the answer to the question, so what now? We had a great celebration. We celebrated and we remembered, so what now? I hope that through this poster and through the reading of God's word, we will know that the answer to so what now is we are to be people who praise the Lord and we are to be people who do not forget his benefits. As I read this, I don't know what type of week you've come through. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're in a season of disorientation. I pray that God will use this. The image that he will paint in your mind of the truths that you are going to read this will begin a reorientation for you back to a healthy orientation. Maybe you are, have come out of a time of disorientation and you, you, have, and you are thankful that God has used the church and others and his word and, and worship to reorientate your heart back and focus to who he is, that he is holy, he's compassionate, he loves you. Be thankful as you read these. And finally, if you're in a place of orientation and God has been so faithful and you're just like, man, I'm just in a great space with God right now. Then take the challenge that the psalmist gave us today, and the conclusion was, praise him. Praise him. When that verse I read in the first service about how he redeems our life from the pit, he rescues us. I couldn't help but think of watching CNN when I watched those miners come up from the ground. And you know what amazed me? There wasn't one miner that came out of that long shaft, and when they got up to the top of the earth, did this. It was amazing. No, they came up, and they were pumped. And they were excited because they knew they were toast. 
And now they had a chance because they were going to be rescued. And when they got to the top of the earth, they just couldn't wait to embrace people, to celebrate, and to be excited that they had been rescued from this pit. Oh, God, help us not to be followers of you that come to church on Sunday, forgetting all your benefits, and stand with our hands in our pockets as a way we say thank you. Lord, help us. And I'm speaking to myself because it's my responsibility to praise the Lord with my soul. Who I am in Christ, I am alive. I am forgiven. I am reconciled with God. I am known by God. I am redeemed. I am rescued. I am chosen. I am justified by God. I am accepted. I am saved. I am free. I am secure. I am a new creature. I am born of God. I am adopted by God. I am a child of the promise. I am Jesus' friend. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a member of Christ's body. I am sealed. I am bought with a price and belong to God. I am loved. And as the hymn writer wrote, it is well with my soul, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I'm going to ask Jordan and the worship team to come. And we are going to do what David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us to do. The conclusion is, praise him. Forget not all his benefits, and may God help us to do that wholeheartedly with all of our inmost being. This is our spiritual family tree. It reveals who we are, who we belong to, and the benefits of belonging to his family. So in light of all we have in Christ, is your life a life of praise? Are you inspired to praise him because of who he is? and because of what he has done for you. Have you forgotten all his benefits? Has the pace of life caused him to fade in your memory, robbing you of the joy of your salvation? May God help us to live a life of praise fueled by a reverential, worshipful fear of him, appreciative of all his benefits, shown practically by a willingness to obey all he has commanded. And if you're here this morning and you see this list and go, man, I would love to experience those things in my life, then you need to come to Jesus because he is still in the business of adopting sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. We praise you because of who you are. And with the help of your spirit, we commit ourselves as individuals and as a church to forget not all your benefits. In Jesus' name, amen.